Welcome to the What is Stoicism podcast. Some of the most striking lessons we learn in life are the ones that we initially disagreed with. They're the ones that either challenge our long-held beliefs or just plain don't make sense to us on the surface. But the surface, by nature, is shallow. We can't immediately see what's going on underneath it. It's not until we examine such lessons and pieces of advice in a deeper way that we can extract the value from them. Like the diver searching for underwater treasure, we have to look past what can be seen by everyone who takes a cursory glance from their safe vantage point on dry land. In keeping with so much of Stoic practice, the real rewards are to be found beyond initial impressions. To illustrate this, let's look at 21 short Stoic life lessons that initially sound counterintuitive. For each lesson, we'll consider the Stoic source that inspired it, then meditate briefly on what it means and how it can benefit us. 1. To be loved, love. A quote from Seneca. Quote, If you ask how one can make oneself a friend quickly, I will tell you, provided we are agreed that I may pay my debt at once and square the account, so far as this letter is concerned. Hikado says, I can show you a potion, compounded without drugs, herbs, or any witch's incantation. If you would be loved, love. End quote. Our first experiences of love are generally a one-way street. If we're lucky, we are loved unconditionally by at least our mothers from the moment we're brought into the world. We learn to be loved before we learn to love. We learn that our behaviour can influence how that love is expressed to us. And so we go on seeking love and attention from others by trying to replicate what worked before or by exaggerating that behaviour. Love, as a subdivision of the Stoic virtue of justice, tells us how we should treat others. It's guidance for our actions. It doesn't tell us what rewards to seek. Being a virtue, love is a good in and of itself. It requires no external reward. It is its own reward. The ironic thing is, when we start to put others ahead of ourselves, when we start to love, we end up being loved. Two, the only constant is change. From Marcus Aurelius, quote, Is any man afraid of change? Why, what can take place without change? What then is more pleasing or more suitable to the universal nature? End quote. It seems paradoxical to state that change is a constant, but the acceptance of this fact is a powerful tool at a practicing Stoic's disposal. The evidence of change is all around us every day. Different parts of our surroundings, our atmosphere, and most importantly ourselves, grow and atrophy, update and degrade, are lost and found and live and die. Change is nature's delight, Change is inevitable. By denying this, we subject ourselves to disturbance every time change intrudes on our lives. But if we expect it and accept it, we prepare ourselves to adapt to it. Being able to adapt to change, whether it be by treating it as a challenge or by finding a more useful perspective from which to view it, gives us a much better flow of life than fighting against what is outside our control. The fact remains, regardless of how we react, change will happen. 3. To be everywhere is to be nowhere. From Seneca, quote, Everywhere means nowhere. When a person spends all his time in foreign travel, he ends by having many acquaintances, but no friends. End quote. While this lesson can apply in a literal sense to our physical location, it can also be a reminder to prioritise what we spend our time on. A delight in bustling about is not industry, Seneca wrote, and the state of mind that looks on all activity as tiresome is not true repose, but a spineless inertia. In other words, if we indulge our need to feel busy, 
we'll end up spreading ourselves too thin. As a crude example, spending three minutes each on 30 tasks is likely to be much less productive than spending 30 minutes each on your three most important tasks. Wasting our precious time on too many things leaves us nowhere. Making the most of it on what is important to us takes us where we want to be. Four, imagining death is key to living life. From Marcus Aurelius, quote, Think of yourself as dead. You have lived your life. Now take what's left and live it properly. End quote. Memento mori, the Latin phrase meaning remember you will die, represents a practice that most Stoics will be familiar with. It is a reminder of the inevitability of death to prompt us to place greater urgency on living. In Bhutan, there's an old saying, to be a truly happy person, one must contemplate death five times daily. How does this contemplation make us live? How does it make us happy? Because it makes us realize our time is limited. Death will come. What else is there to do in the meantime than to be grateful and make the most of the fact that it hasn't come yet? Five, discipline now means freedom later. From Epictetus, quote, he is free who lives as he likes who is not subject to compulsion, to restraint or to violence, whose pursuits are unhindered, his desires successful, his aversions unincurred, end quote. Self-discipline is one of the four cardinal virtues of Stoicism. This mere fact shows that, to a Stoic, it is regarded as essential to living a good life. To the ancients, it meant guarding against excess. It meant knowing when to stop and when to keep going. It meant good discipline within the soul. Today... We can still see it's the virtue that opens up space for so much in life. But discipline limits me, you might say. It restrains me. How could it open up space? Think about it. Discipline in diet makes you healthier. Discipline in exercise makes you stronger. Discipline in relationships makes you happier. Discipline in learning makes you smarter. Discipline in work makes you reliable. Discipline now leads to space later. The space of having more time because you didn't hit snooze the space of trying more activities because you need to see the doctor less, the space of having more opportunities because you've gained wisdom and trust, the space of having less to worry about because the bad choices are no longer considered, the space of being happier. Six, freedom means being disliked by some. From Seneca, quote, liberty is having a mind superior to injury a mind that makes itself the only source from which its pleasures spring, that separates itself from all external things, avoiding the unquiet life of one who fears everybody's laughter, everybody's tongue. For if there's anyone who can offer an insult, who cannot? End quote. It's easy to assume that the ultimate freedom in life would be being liked by absolutely everyone. We think if this were the case, we'd have no worries, no conflicts, no one jealous of us or badmouthing us behind our backs. In reality, trying to get to a point where everyone likes you would mean being constantly worried about how each and every person is judging you. It would mean always living to satisfy other people's expectations rather than actually making your own choices. When you're disliked by someone, it's proof that you're living according to your own principles and exercising the freedom you have to be yourself. It's not that we should actively try to be disliked. It's that we should live our lives with the courage to accept that being disliked for who we are will inevitably occur sometimes. This courage and acceptance affords us freedom, freedom to be our best selves. Seven, wisdom is knowing that you don't know. From Socrates, quote, I seem then in just this little thing to be wiser than this man at any rate, that what I do not know 
I do not think I know either. End quote. Conventional, well, wisdom suggests that wisdom is knowing a lot. The more you know, the wiser you are. Wisdom, however, isn't quite the same thing as knowledge. The Stoic virtue of wisdom is a disposition by which we judge what is to be done and what is not to be done. It's how we make decisions and decipher between good and bad. In the most basic terms, it means doing the right thing, or as a start, knowing what the right thing is. We're often scared to admit that we don't know something. We sense there is weakness in open honesty and mistrust in vulnerability, when in fact it takes fortitude to be vulnerable, and honesty actually builds trust. If you're known to be someone who is prepared to say, I don't know, it gives more weight to what you do know. You've taken time to understand it. You didn't rush to judgment. That's your character. You're capable of wisdom. I don't know is the key that unlocks the gate to learning. Without that admission, the journey ends and wisdom lies dormant. No one can be taught what they think they already know. Eight, how you do anything is how you do everything. From Epictetus, quote, don't be pretentious, just stick to your principles and rest assured that if you remain true to them, the same people who made fun of you will come to admire you, end quote. The ancient Stoics were believers in duty. They believed that we have a responsibility to ourselves and our fellow humans to do the best we can at all times. Marcus Aurelius wrote that our duties in life are the sum of our individual acts, and so all these individual acts should be completed methodically, with due care and attention. In other words, we should take pride in every small thing we do, as all the small things add up to provide a reflection of how seriously we take our responsibilities in life. Having pride in everything you do means having strong principles. You're letting yourself down first and foremost if you half-ass a task. On the other hand, when you do things right, when you do everything with the same level of effort and commitment, you repeatedly confirm your own character to yourself. You can be content with your efforts and have no regrets. 9. Accepting fate is not the same thing as being passive. From Epictetus, quote, Do not seek to have events happen as you want them, but instead want them to happen, and your life will go well. End quote. As Stoics, we seek to reduce the burden of unwanted events by accepting their occurrence. We come to terms with what has happened and do our best to understand that it was bound to happen. This is the essence of Amor Fati, which Nietzsche described as follows. Quote, My formula for what is great in mankind is Amor Fati. Not to wish for anything other than that which is, whether behind, ahead, or for all eternity. Not just to put up with the inevitable, much less to hide it from oneself, for all idealism is lying to oneself in the face of the necessary, but to love it. End quote. A common misunderstanding is equating this attitude with giving up. If we accept everything, then why do anything? To support this argument, some use the image of an emotionless cow standing in the rain, passive and unmoved by its surroundings. In fact, accepting fate is not the same thing as passivity. Accepting what happens saves us time. We don't feel the need to curse fate or complain about our luck when we practice Amor Fati. We don't spend time wishing we could change the past. Instead, we focus on what we can do. We assess what has happened, we decide on the best response, and we actively work to affect the things within our control. 10. The more you rely on ego the less confident you are. From Ryan Holiday, quote, When we remove ego, we're left with what is real. What replaces ego is humility, yes, but rock-hard humility and confidence. 
Whereas ego is artificial, this type of confidence can hold weight. Ego is stolen, confidence is earned, ego is self-anointed, its swagger is artifice, end quote. When we look at the conduct of big stars, those famous people who bathe in the limelight, we might come to conflate confidence with ego. We see displays of self-importance, vanity, even arrogance, and it all looks like unflinching self-confidence. What we're really seeing is a performance, a pretense. Egotistical acts are those of someone who desperately wants to be confident, but is unwilling to earn it. Ego seeks as much recognition as possible. It is inflated by praise and stung by criticism. Confidence is different. Confidence comes from our best efforts and has no reliance on outcomes or opinion. When we have put everything into the task at hand, then we can humbly accept that everything else is outside our control. Judgment and opinion can't touch us. That is confidence. 11. What you bear is less important than how you bear it. From Seneca. Quote, You should know that good men ought to act in like manner, so as not to fear troubles and difficulties, nor to lament their hard fate, to take in good part whatever befalls them, and force it to become a blessing to them. It does not matter what you bear, but how you bear it. End quote. Things outside our control are so often the source of our disturbances, or at least the opinions we form about them are. We don't get to choose the circumstances we're born into, or the parents that bring us into those circumstances, or how we look, or how tall we are, and on and on. We might prefer that things were a different way, but ultimately we can't change the course of the past. While we may be thrust into circumstances not of our choosing, there is always one thing we can choose, how we respond. We're called forth each day to do our best with the tools we've been given, to see what we can make out of what we find ourselves having to bear. If we can meet this challenge with the open arms of courage, then we can affect positive change for ourselves and show that how we respond is of greater importance than what we're responding to. What this doesn't mean is blindly persisting in hopeless or dangerous situations. Contrary to some interpretations, Stoics are not averse to avoiding adversity if they judge it to be the best course of action. It is not hardships that are desirable, wrote Seneca, but the courage by which to endure them. 12. The happiness of pursuit beats the pursuit of happiness. From Seneca, quote, The philosopher Attalus used to say, It is more pleasant to make a friend than to have one, as it is more pleasant to the artist to paint than to have painted. When one is busy and absorbed in one's work, the very absorption affords great delight, but when one has withdrawn one's hand from the completed masterpiece, the pleasure is not so keen. Now it is the fruit of his art that he enjoys. It was the art itself that he enjoyed while he was painting. End quote. We're very often absorbed in the chasing of some goal or other. Our motivation to keep going is the end state of having achieved the goal, and we believe that satisfaction will wash over us when that end state is reached. What usually happens when we eventually reach that end state is that a certain emptiness is felt. The satisfaction didn't last and now we need a new goal to strive for. In the state of striving, in the midst of pursuit, we cast our minds too far ahead. When I get this or achieve that, I'll be happy then, we think. We postpone happiness or even deny ourselves it through our as-yet-unmet desires. It's only when we look back that we realise it was the process that made us happy, more so than the outcome. Being engaged in meaningful work is what gives us purpose. It's not a tensionless future state that we need, wrote Viktor Frankl, but rather the striving and struggling in the present for some goal worthy of us. 13. You can't get smarter until you're willing to look clueless. 
from Epictetus, quote, If you want to improve, be content to be thought foolish and stupid with regard to external things. Don't wish to be thought to know anything. And even if you appear to be somebody important to others, distrust yourself, end quote. In our quest to learn and improve, the biggest barrier we need to break through is the very first one, the fear of being a clueless beginner. Or rather, the fear of appearing to others to be a clueless beginner. This distinction is important. Try saying it out loud and you'll see how absurd a notion it is. I won't try to learn something new because I am afraid to appear to others to be a clueless beginner. That we'd intentionally hold ourselves back due to the imaginary opinions of others is absurd. Everyone has to start somewhere. No one begins fully formed. We all start from a position of cluelessness and through our honest efforts we improve. Who cares how it looks? In Courage Under Fire, James Stockdale's account of his time as a prisoner of war, he writes, There can be no such thing as being the victim of another. You can only be a victim of yourself. It's all in how you discipline your mind. So don't be a victim when it comes to your own growth. Don't hold yourself back. 14. Admitting mistakes builds more trust than appearing perfect. From Marcus Aurelius, quote, Be prepared to change your mind if someone is at hand to put you right and guide you away from some ill-grounded opinion. End quote. In both our work lives and our personal lives, it can be tempting to try to hide our mistakes in the name of saving face, but dishonesty always has a strange way of coming back to bite. As James Altucher puts it, honesty is the fastest way to prevent a mistake from turning into a failure. Accepting immediate responsibility for an error and taking steps to correct it means you aren't constantly waiting for a tap on the shoulder from someone armed with the evidence to expose something you tried to hide. Not only that, whether it be in a personal or work setting, getting called out for mistakes that you haven't admitted, or worse, have tried to shift the blame for, is something that will quickly erode people's trust in you if it happens even once. Sticking to a policy of being accountable for mistakes means people can be sure of your integrity. They know they can trust you, and that if something is your fault, you will take responsibility. Being upfront and honest also means there is less to remember and less to stress over, as there's only one version of events, your version, the true version. The simplest way to implement this lesson is to think of every action you take the same way as Marcus Aurelius did in his meditations. Quote, just that you do the right thing, the rest doesn't matter. End quote. 15. Events can't disturb you, only your judgments about them can. From Epictetus, quote, People are not disturbed by things, but by the view they take of them, end quote. Some try to argue that it's possible for an event to objectively disturb us rather than our judgment about that event. The defense offered is that when something indisputably terrible happens, there can be no other outcome than disturbance, and so our judgment isn't even a factor. However, not everyone sees events the same way. No matter how terrible they seem to one person, they won't be exactly as terrible to the next person. There are countless examples of people who have faced the direst of circumstances with a strong and happy spirit, and just as many examples of people who seem to have it all, but yet are never satisfied. There can be no greater evidence than this, that being disturbed comes from our own judgments rather than from the events themselves. 16. Fear of something is usually a good indication that you need to do it. From Marcus Aurelius, quote, the mind turns around every hindrance to its activity and converts it to further its purpose. The impediment to action becomes part of the action. The obstacle in our way becomes the way forward. End quote. The Stoics saw the value in periodic voluntary hardship to better prepare for future involuntary hardship. 
in attacking the uncomfortable, they were able to expand their comfort zone. The ramifications of this kind of work are huge. In transforming discomfort into comfort, you're invoking a superpower. Systematically facing your fears makes you scared of less and opens up more of the world to be enjoyed. The premise is simple. When you do what you're afraid of, you aren't afraid of it anymore. Listen to your fears. Think about what they're telling you. How would it feel if you were no longer held back by your biggest fear? Or even reduced that fear by, say, 50%? What potential could you realise? Let philosophy scrape off your own faults, wrote Seneca, rather than be a way to reel against the faults of others. 17. If you can't explain something in simple terms, you don't understand it well enough. From Marcus Aurelius, quote, Speak both in the Senate and to every man, whoever he may be, appropriately, not with any affectation. Use plain discourse. End quote. One of the great appeals of ancient Stoic writing is how accessible it is. Marcus Aurelius, Seneca, Arian, who transcribed Epictetus' teachings, and others were known to be intentionally economical with their words. It was more important to them to be clear and concise than to use dressed-up discourse or produce lengthy prose. Overly verbose explanations with elaborate language are often only used to mask a lack of understanding. The hope is that the recipient will be somehow impressed by wordiness masquerading as wisdom and won't challenge what they're being presented with for fear of appearing inferior. To be sure, until you can explain something in straightforward terms without confusing anyone, until you can boil it down to only what is absolutely necessary, you don't understand it well enough. 18. The more seriously you take yourself, the less seriously you'll be taken. From Seneca. Quote, no one becomes a laughingstock who laughs at himself. It is well known that Vatinius, a man born to be a butt of ridicule and hate, was a graceful and witty jester. He made jokes at the expense of his own feet and shriveled jowls. In this way he escaped the raillery of his enemies, chief among them Cicero, who were even more numerous than his deformities. End quote. Life goes much easier when you're able to laugh at yourself. The more you react to jokes at your expense, the more offended or angry you get that you aren't being taken seriously, the longer those jokes will persist. It's better to be in on the joke than to be the joke. The former scenario takes the sting out of it, the latter just stings. Epictetus offered actionable advice befitting of a stand-up comedian swatting off a heckler. Quote, If anyone tells you that a certain person speaks ill of you, do not make excuses about what is said of you, but answer, he was ignorant of my other faults, else he would not have mentioned these alone. End quote. Being able to laugh at yourself means you'll never run out of things to laugh at and will be less susceptible to disturbance caused by the malevolent words of others. Someone who is impervious to that kind of treatment inevitably gets taken seriously. 19. You can't be comfortable in company if you aren't comfortable being alone. From Seneca, quote, Solitude in itself does not teach integrity, nor does the countryside give lessons in moderation. But those vices whose object is show and display will subside where no witness or onlooker remains. Who puts on the purple robe when he has no one to show it to? Who serves a single dinner on a golden plate? No one is elegant just for their own benefit, or even for a few close friends. We set out the implements of our vices in proportion to the crowd there to see them. So it is. The stimulus of all our extravagance is the complicit admirer. You will cause us not to desire things if you keep us from showing them off. Ambition and luxury and lack of restraint all need a stage. 
You will heal them if you are kept from view. End quote. Our everyday impatience and agitation with other people is usually a sign of our impatience and agitation with ourselves. We carry some unresolved tension in our own minds and end up projecting it onto others. When we sit down alone and work through our worries, we create a person who is just a little better, just a little more comfortable with themselves than before. This new person then goes out into the world better equipped for their next interaction. Another thing we need to do alone is define our principles. When we're in company, our mimetic tendencies cause us to veer away from our philosophy of life and do things we don't actually want to do just because someone else is. If we have our own rules for life worked out, then we always have a reference point. We get comfortable with them when we're alone. We learn them by heart. Then we can more easily make decisions about how to behave when we are in the company of others. Whether your own rules are simply the stoic virtues or whether you choose to define your own epithets, make getting comfortable alone a priority so that you can be the same person, whether you're in your own or another's company. 20. No one hates you for improving. They hate themselves for not doing the same. From Seneca, quote, That man will never be happy, whom the sight of a happier man will torment. End quote. As we've already touched on, it's a shame how often people get discouraged from bettering themselves because of what the people around them might say. So many hold back from starting good habits or sharing their creativity simply because of how they will be judged. At these times, when doubt is winning, it's important to remember everyone judges everyone else by their own standards. The judgmental, I can't believe you did that, is a thin mask for, I wouldn't have done that. The spotlight is projected onto someone else's actions, often in a denigrating way, when actually the judgment is saying more about the judge. This is no more evident than when you get criticised for trying something new, something that upsets the status quo. Those who sit watching from the sidelines engage their limiting beliefs and attempt to drag down the pretender who had the audacity to stand up. The reason they wouldn't have done that is simply fear, something you know how to tackle. Improve for your own sake, follow passions that light you up inside, regardless of judgement. Life is too short not to. 21. It's not because things are difficult that you don't try. It's because you don't try that things are difficult. From Seneca, our lack of confidence is not the result of difficulty. The difficulty comes from our lack of confidence. End quote. In any new endeavour, getting started is the hardest part. When we want to achieve something ambitious, we immediately look too far ahead, feel overwhelmed, and think it would be better just to forget about it. But every grand thing has small beginnings. If you track your steps on a daily basis, your target for today might be 10,000. It's important to remember, however, that each step happens one at a time, and the counter doesn't start until the first one is taken. 10,000 is a lot, one is not. Small intentional actions add up. Taking that first step, no matter how tiny, removes the difficulty of getting started. It's simply a matter of trying. Simply a matter of putting in a little effort and then building upon it. You might not achieve what you set out to, but by trying you at least make progress. If you choose not to try, not to take that first small step, one thing is certain, the difficulty of starting won't go away. Thanks for joining me for this episode of the What is Stoicism podcast. If you'd like to support the show, please consider taking a second to leave a rating and a review. It's a good way to let me know you're getting value from the content and it helps more people discover the show. I appreciate your support. Thanks so much.
Also, if you enjoyed this episode, I recommend checking out the Stoic Handbook podcast by John Brooks. It's one I've been a fan of myself for a while. It has great reviews. John publishes regular episodes that are always filled with practical wisdom, and it's available on all the usual podcast platforms. You can also find it on the web at stoichandbook.buzzsprout.com. Thanks again for listening.